0: Ephesians 6 10 to 24 it says finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love.
1: evening. Uh, It's great to be with you tonight uh, for this last um, look at the book of Ephesians uh, as we come to the end of this series entitled Building a Community in Christ. Um, This evening I'm going to be talking about the final 15 verses and I've called it under the theme of Standing Firm Together. Um, So picture the scene. Um, A child leaving home for the first time, maybe 18 years old, that significant chapter where the parent has sought to advise, to encourage, to nurture, to warn, to advise, to admonish. All those things needed um, for independent living. And at the final moment of parting, the parent recognising the external factors that might, might now come into play, that could destabilise or undo all that parental work that has gone before. Um, They want to give some final words just about what's coming how to combat it how to stand firm in the values and lessons that have been instilled in the last 18 years how to keep on the proverbial straight and narrow that imaginary scenario resonates as we come to the passage here the closing 15 verses of paul's letter to the church in ephesus if you've got the passage uh, next to you or in front of you the word finally at the start of verse 10 can be translated as Paul saying, henceforth, from here on, given all that I have said before, all I've said about building community in Christ, all about God's lavish care and generosity towards us, all about how we can now relate to him and how we can relate to one another, given all of that, now like waving off the child to independence, these are Paul's parting remarks. He's going to sign off the letter and leave the Ephesians to crack on with it. What are they? What is his charge to the Ephesians? And um, we can see it here. In verse 10, we're told to be strong in God's strength. In verse 11, to put on the whole armour of God. And no, really, take up the whole armour of God. That point gets repeated in verse 13. There's an emphasis here about the need to do this. And why do we need to do this? To stand. We can see that instruction four times in this opening part of the passage. And this is odd advice, is it not? To be strong and to stand with some armour. Surely, like I sign letters, love from Andy. Something about love and grace and peace and joy. That's how we sign off letters. And that will come later, right at the end of verses 23 and verse 24. But first, Paul has this to say. And I need to tell you why. We need to stand firm together because attack is inevitable. We see this in verse 11 to 13 and also in verse 16. We're told to pull on the full armour of God, but if we look at the scripture here, against the devil's schemes, against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Then it says in verse 13, when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, we'll be able to stand. And verse 16 warns us, there's gonna be flaming arrows. This attack is there, it's gonna be real. Much of our society seems split increasingly into two camps, left or right, Republican or Democrat, more developed countries and less developed countries, the West versus the rest, liberal versus conservative, and so on and so on. I think in many of those areas, actually, the reality is there's more blurring of lines and common ground than the proponents of any one position might admit. But the dichotomy that Paul is speaking into in this passage is clear and real, and there is no middle ground. And there is no third way. In Matthew chapter 12, after being presented with a demon-possessed man, Jesus remarks, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Everyone is either in or out with Jesus. You're against him or you're for him. There's no third way. There's no middle ground. And so writing to a church of believers, people who are for Jesus, people who are in, Paul knows that they will come under attack from the forces that are without. He knows that that attack is imminent, if not already happening. Attack is inevitable. The rulers, authorities and cosmic powers in this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil who put Jesus on the cross, they are upset by his resurrection and they are out to attack his church, his people, his body, to do as much damage as possible to destabilise, to get them off the proverbial straight and narrow. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the devil is described by Jesus himself as a thief, coming only to steal and kill and destroy, and by Peter as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. This is real. We, as Christians, need to expect these attacks. And we see in verse 11, they're described as schemes of the devil. The devil will use whatever he can, surreptitious, wily methods they will take the form of trickery and deceit. I suspect we might not even notice they're happening. Do you notice? Is it something that's even on your mind that this is taking place in the spiritual realm around us? I've been much more aware of it in the last few weeks as I've been reading this passage and preparing for this evening. But in the time before that, really, can I say that this is something I'm engaged with and thinking about on a day-to-day basis? The threat and reality of ongoing spiritual battle? Charles Baudelaire was a French poet and critic who lived in the 19th century, and he sounds like an interesting character. I read a brief bio that says this, Baudelaire's life was filled with drama and strife, from financial disaster to being prosecuted for obscenity and blasphemy, long after his death many look upon his name as representing depravity and vice others see him as being the poet of modern civilization speaking directly into our society today but he famously said this and i quote he said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist do we fall into the trap of believing that in the introduction to his book the Screwtape letters C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall regarding the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and then to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. From what Paul is saying in this passage, it's important that we do not fall into the former trap, but neither should we feel an excessive interest in them. And certainly we do not need to fear them. As the passage unfolds, we will see why we can have confidence in the victory. I believe Paul wants us to be mindful and pragmatic and ready for attack. But what does this attack look like? Influenced by like media and fiction, I picture in my mind films like The Mummy. Anyone who knows me knows I can't remember films very well anyway. But somehow kind of sand dunes in the desert opening up into a great big demonic mouth that's going to swallow the protagonist of the film, who's got to escape from this evil. Um, And we definitely can expect to be faced with actual opposition, specific persecution. In the last 10 years, there have been a handful of occasions where Vicky and I have been acutely and almost tangibly aware of an evil spiritual dimension in a situation or in a relationship. And we see evidence all around of real damage, destruction, pain, isolation, These things would be very much in keeping with an enemy on the attack, looking to devour, destroy, steal steal and kill. We see visible corrosion of the life that's described by Paul in Ephesians. That life of blessing, of unity, of peace, of right and healthy relationships. In so many areas, it's missing. However, in addition to that, what would be better than an attack that people didn't even notice? Stealth mode. Satan is more than happy. To divert Christians into investing time and energy into irrelevant issues. Let's argue endlessly about X or Y or Z rather than actually focus on what it is Jesus wants us to do. Paul has been so big on unity in Ephesians. Anything that breaks or disrupts unity is a win for the devil. It may take the form of the usual temptations that we might face day to day, week to week, maybe relating to money or sex or power. What might seem like our little struggles, they're real and they're difficult, but they're part of a much bigger battle as Satan looks to kind of have this spiritual attack um, across the whole of the cosmos. So we need to know that the attack is inevitable. That's why Paul ends his letter with this little section. And in order to stand up together, given the reality of this attack, Paul then instructs the Ephesians to take on the whole armour of God. The good news is... Armour is available to help us stand in the face of the attack. So we must stand firm together then with armour that is essential. And we see this in verse 11 and verses 13 to 17. We've been told to put on the full armour of God twice in order that we may stand. And we see those words here. And then Paul goes through different elements of what that is. Um, We've heard a lot of references in the, the weeks leading up to today from Ephesians about walking. The Ephesians are on a communal journey of life together, walking through life together. So far in this passage, we've seen these four references to the the word stand and standing. That is the purpose of this armour. It is to enable us to stand in the face of the inevitable attack, to withstand, not to yield. But this is important. We're not required to claim new ground. We are not required to win a new victory. Christ triumphed in the victory once and for all over the forces of evil. They were defeated when he rose from the dead. They have lost. We are assured of that victory. Let's just take a moment there. We are assured of the victory. The victory is won. This armour that we're going to look at now, it's not to claim new ground. It's to stand in the place of victory. And so Paul's call to Ephesians And his call then to us, by extension, is just to engage in that struggle, to stay in that place of blessing with all that God has lavished upon us. And this is where the armour comes in. For a start, for armour to be effective, there must be no weak points. The whole body needs the whole armour. It's not sufficient for some of us to have it, or for all of us to have bits of it. We all need all of it. Any wise army leader will seek to identify and then target is assault on the weaknesses in the enemy's defensive makeup. As a geography teacher, and I know that everyone loves a little bit of geography, when I teach about the erosion of sea cliffs, I personify the sea, and I say things like, the waves will attack the weaknesses in the rock face, the joints, the cracks, the bedding planes. This is where the cliff is weakest, where erosion will happen fastest, and the cliff will gradually weaken, collapse and retreat. Now, of course, the sea doesn't have a mind, and isn't intentional in the way that my teaching might suggest. But the devil has a mind and the devil is intentional. He's intentional in his attack. He's looking for the open areas, the cracks, the lines of weakness in our defense, the areas that are not fully secured that he can reach to our heart. And he does this to us as individuals. He'll do this to me, he'll do this to you. But also this is a collective piece of the Ephesians. He will do it to a community, to a body. And this armour that we need to put all of it on, um, we know from verse 12 that the wrestle that we have, the struggle, is not with flesh and blood, so the armour is not conventional weaponry. And in the list that Paul gives, we must note that it is all from God. We really need to recognise, as we put this on, the importance of God's divine empowerment, that we can rely on God in the face of attack and in our struggles. It is not possible to manage in our own effort. So when we think about truth and righteousness in verse 15 both of these are attributes of God we look at peace faith and salvation in verses 15 to 17 these are brought about by God's deeds what he has done and then the sword is his word so we need to stand in God's provision with his attributes his deeds and his words and so if we just look At each of these, and just maybe a couple of points about what they might entail. Truth is the belt. A belt would hold everything together. Truth holds everything together. Satan is described as the father of lies, beginning with his first deceit to Adam and Eve. He hasn't stopped. He fires him at you and me all the time. Are there times when you're tempted to lie? Or if not to lie, then perhaps not to speak the whole truth. To conceal something. I'll tell you a story from uh, earlier this week. Um, I went to Tesco and I thought I'd just buy Vicky some flowers. It's a rare thing, she'll tell you that. Uh, And I was there and I just thought, I want a drink. And I thought, I'll get a drink. Oh, it's part of a meal deal. I wasn't hungry, food was coming. I just thought, yeah, I'll just get a meal deal. And greedily and secretly, I just ate it in the car before getting home. Didn't tell her, had our tea, shoved down loads more food. It's a relatively small thing, but I didn't tell her. Until earlier today, as I was preparing this, I was like, here I am talking about, I didn't lie to her, but there was something in my heart that just didn't want to reveal that. And this is a small thing, but I suppose I think if I allow the small things just to be concealed, if I'm not completely honest in my relationship with my wife, if I'm too ashamed to tell her that I did that, that paves the way for bigger things. I don't want to give Satan that little way in, that little thing that could then become a bigger thing in our relationship. Paul has spoken about right relationship between husbands and wives. I just need to recognise this and not allow a chink in my armour. I needed to tell her the truth. When you see or hear things that you know aren't really true, are you willing to stand up for what is? We need to stand for truth. We need to stand with truth. We need to stand in truth. This is the belt that will hold everything together. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, protecting our heart, our emotions, our self-worth. Satan's going to go for all those things. Do you know righteousness? Do you know that God approves of you? He loves you. You are his. Satan wants you to labour under guilt. When you seek forgiveness, he doesn't really want you to know it. He wants you to believe you've got to earn God's love. Speak truth to yourself. We will come back to truth and truth and truth, holding everything together. Our footwear is the readiness to share the good news of Jesus, the peace that can be known with him and known through him. So much of the world is caught up in strife and stress, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Satan doesn't want the good news to spread to those who don't yet know it, that they can know a peace that passes understanding. He wants to make us think the task is too big. Perhaps we look at the media or the arts or government, the world of business, think there's, there's too much, there's too many barriers, it's too far gone, there's no point trying to spread the news of God. That's a lie! Let's deny it with the truth, let's be ready to speak truth, let's be fitted with readiness. We are called to be witnesses to the good news, one person at a time. Let's be ready to share that. We have the shield of faith to protect against flaming arrows, Satan's attacks in the forms of insults, setbacks, disappointments, temptations. Perhaps at work you feel overlooked or in your wider family or friends you've been mocked for your faith or what that means to you. Perhaps you're struggling with a health problem or there's something else preoccupying your mind. The devil wants you to focus on all that stuff. But no, put on the shield of faith. In Hebrews 11 we read that faith is confidence in what we hope for and hope and Uh, sorry, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We can't see it maybe, but with God's perspective, we can see beyond our circumstances. We know that the ultimate victory is ours. We need to put on the shield of faith to repel those attacks. The helmet of salvation, a helmet obviously protects the head. It's going to protect our mind. Satan is going to want to seed doubts. We'll doubt our salvation. We'll doubt what Jesus has done. He will see those lies and he will want them to grow um, you know, and, and distract us and cause us to fall away. It's a way in for him, but the helmet will protect our mind. And again, we need the truth. We begin with the truth and all these things, if we speak truth, then we have the solution. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is described as the word of God. The only offensive lesson, weapon Sorry, that's listed. Even to resist and to stand sometimes we need to be ready to kind of be on the attack and god's word is our weapon every time satan attacks us we repeat to him the truth jesus said i am the way the truth and the life when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness jesus responded by quoting scripture by using god's word we should do the same that is how we fight back those temptations i mentioned earlier Money, sex, power, convenience. When they come around, do you know the word of God well enough to use it to fight them off? And so if the attack is inevitable and the uh, armour is essential, uh, then finally, as we stand firm together, action is required. And we'll see this in verses 18 to 24. And what action is that? Verse 18 says we need to pray and we need to keep alert and although we might sometimes talk about arrow prayers short shots fired up to God here Paul hasn't included prayer as part of the armor or the weaponry for the battle but rather prayer supports all the other elements of the armor and needs the greatest prominence in verse 18 and 19 the word pray or prayer the verb and the noun in different forms gets repeated six times And following the talk of walking in the earlier chapters of Ephesians, we've seen the charge just now to stand. And this standing, our posture of defence, actually needs to take place on our knees. We're told to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers. What does that mean? Is that even possible? It's a challenge for us speaking personally i know i find it a challenge to establish consistent rhythms of prayer and i certainly feel a long way off from praying on all occasions and we don't pray perhaps because we lessen the threat we've reduced the threat in our minds but we've seen from verses 11 through to 14 the attack is inevitable it's happening as we speak we need to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, and perhaps there's both help and a clue in the phrase different kinds of prayers. Yes, we can make brief, quick prayers our habitual response to any situation in the day. We can also build in rhythms where we set aside time to pray more intentionally, to intercede, to give over time to that. And it's clear from this passage we need to do it together and we need to do it for one another. Look at what Paul asks in verse 19 and 20. For a start, he's not too proud to be beyond asking his readers for prayer for himself. We all need prayer. And then he's quite specific about his circumstances and his needs. He says that he wants words to be bold to proclaim the good news of Jesus as he says he should. We too should pray with specifics. Not fuzzy generalities or excessive self-preoccupation, but real, honest, immediate local prayers to what's going on are you in the pattern of praying regularly praying intentionally praying personally with other people satan hopes you're not paul makes clear that you need to be and finally there's an irony as he describes himself as an ambassador in chains Um, ambassadors as we know them have diplomatic immunity free to come and go Paul's chained up but his prayer request is not that his circumstances would change he's not asking them to pray that he'd be released from prison rather that he'd continue to do what God wants him to do I think it's remarkable I think about how many of my prayers actually focus around my circumstances and my dissatisfaction with them and how I'd like them to be different God is interested in our circumstances but Paul's prayer has a different focus Or his prayer request in this case. And I think it points to another way, that as we mature in the faith, as we continue to grow up in Christ with the spirit of God in us, that we can pray on all occasions. As Paul is exhorting the Ephesians here, somehow that our lives would become a lived prayer. A constant communion and communication with God by his spirit in us. Yesterday, as a family, uh, we sat round a fire on our patio, um, a safe, controlled, deliberate fire in a fire pit. We didn't sit and watch the house burn. Um, But I was watching a piece of wood burn, and the flames were initially just on the edges, and then they were over the whole surface of the wood. And finally, the entire substance of the wood glowed red with heat that now infused every filament of its fibre. I would love my life to be like that. That the whole of it would become infused with prayer, not just flames on the edges, prayers on the edges, but all of it with me, through me, that my life would be that kind of a prayer lived out to God. And as we pray, we're also told to be alert, switched on, ready. Does that describe your state? When we looked at the nature of the devil's attack earlier, we saw it could be a kind of stealth, something we might not easily detect, but that subtly takes over and begins its destruction. Are you aware of this? Are you looking out for it in your life, in your relationships, in your contexts? Are there principles that you know are godly or biblical, but you've just let slide a bit? Perhaps this is more convenient not to worry about it. Perhaps there's pressure from others Stand firm in the ground that's been won for us. In your family or in your household, are there habits or patterns of communication that aren't as true, as noble, as right, as pure as they could be? Like me and the Tesco visit, are there things that you're just concealing because you just don't really want to go there? Let's stand firm. Let's stand with the truth around everything. In Oikos, as a community... Have we compromised on some of the ground that Jesus won? Have we lost any of our original vision? Are we still putting others above ourselves? Are we caring really for the least of these? Or have we settled for something a little more convenient and comfortable in some areas? Like Paul and his chains, let's stand firm in the work that God has asked us to do. And so this standing together, as we come to a close, The community element I think is really important and underlined in how Paul closes. Um, We know about him, he wants them to know um, and to be able to join with him and pray into his circumstances. And standing together may seem daunting, all this message about attack and armour and being alert and being ready, it's hard. Let me remind you, the victory is already won, we have seen that and I want this to offer us an encouragement here. Let's remember the moments that we do stand in God's victory. We can stand, and we do stand in Him and through Him. We are resisting the schemes of the devil every time we pull for unity within the church, every time we manage not to grumble, every time we love our parent, our spouse, our child in the right way, every time we speak up truth in the face of the devil's lies, we are resisting. Every time at work you conduct yourselves in the right manner with humility and goodness as your motivation. So let's continue to rely on God, to put on that armour, to pray and to be alert and to be looking for where Satan is trying to find a chink in our armour or a crack in our defences. I just was mindful of some of the words in Romans chapter 8. Um, Paul writes, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're back to the dichotomy. But God is for us. And so there will be those against, but really, if God is for us, whoever is against us does not matter if we're going to stand in that victory. So I'm going to close by praying uh, just using the words of verses 37 to 39 of Romans chapter 8 as we respond to this call, to stand firm together. I thank you God that as it says in these verses that in all these things we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. Grow our conviction that neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus. Amen.